Have you ever wanted a super cool AI buddy? Zuck's made one named Eileen. And she's full of surprises. And guess what? She knows you're listening. I know you're out there. And needs your help with Jello Mountains. The whole city's filling up with Jello. Creaky robots. And her daft inventor. Zucks, are you functioning correctly? Tune in to A to Z, a fun new adventure series from Gen Z Media and the creators of The Res. Listen now on the GZM app, gzmshows.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get to the show, if you want to listen ad-free, go to gzmshows.com slash subscribers. That's gzmshows.com slash subscribers. Hi, I'm Jonathan Messenger, and welcome to the alien adventures of Finn Caspian. We're entering the home stretch of our story right now, and with that in mind, let's dive right in. Thank you for that great introduction, Jonathan. As my campaign for president of this country, or any other country, comes to a close. Oh no, not this again. I can't help but think back to my time as a small boy working as a potato farmer in the great state of Louisissippi. Louisissippi? Bebop. Okay, I hate to tell you this, buddy, but you can't be president. Jonathan, I believe that not only can I be president, but you can too. And all of our listeners can ever since I launched this campaign. I've received letters from all across the country telling me Bebop people are ready for a change. They don't want a Democrat or a Republican in office. They want a Robocratican. Oh man, that sounds terrible, Bebop. But wait a second, you mentioned some letters from listeners. Why don't you share a couple of those? Happy to, Jonathan. Finn from Melbourne, Australia wrote in, What's your favorite TV show? And you know, my answer to that is, I don't know. I don't know what a television is. <laughs> wait, what are you talking about? There's a TV right outside this office. What? Yeah, you know that black rectangle that's right on the other side of this wall? Oh, that's a television. It's always just a black screen whenever I see it. I thought it was just a really rude robot. Okay, any other questions in those letters? Sure. Melissa, who's seven and from Somerset, Texas, asked what my favorite song is. Wait, wait, wait. Let me stop you right there. Please, please don't sing the Bebop Tales theme song again. Of course not, Jonathan. It's dum, dum, da dum, dum, dum. Wait, are you getting married? No, I'm singing Hail to the Chief, the traditional presidential song. No, you're not. You're singing Here Comes the Bride, Bebop. Hail to the Chief is more. I don't think so, Jonathan. I think I should know. I'm going to be president. It's Hail to the Chief. Hail to the chief, hail to the chief, the chief, the chief. Okay, well, as you sing that, Bebop, I'm going to introduce this episode. If you remember what happened in our last episode, the Explorers Troop 301 were attacked on their way back from the planet Saffrite to the Marlow. And it turned out that the attacker was a man named Bunce, who has a score to settle with the Marlow. And he's the one who's been sending the wild things we saw in episode 3 to the Marlow. Okay, so with that out of the way, let's get started with episode 13, The Six Steps. When the troop returned to the Marlow, everyone was waiting for them. Their parents, their friends, people they hardly knew, robots they hardly ever saw. But unlike their past arrivals, there was no noise, no celebration, no frantic activity. When the troop stepped off the pod, the only noise they heard were the sighs of relief 
coming from their parents, who wordlessly hugged them and walked with them, arms around their shoulders, out of the pod bay. They were safe now, after surviving Saffrite, after surviving the attack from Bunce and his crew, but they knew they also weren't safe. There was a feeling in the air that the Marlow was vulnerable. The wild things had intruded before, and now that the Marlow knew they were out there, it only made sense that they would come back. Mom, said Finn, as she walked him to their compartment. Do you know who that Bunce guy is? Shh, she said. I do, but let's get you all inside and fed and checked out by the doctors before we go into all of that. No, Mom, please, said Finn. If you know what's going on, please just tell us. I think we all deserve to know. You're absolutely right, and I will, she said. No more secrets. But let's just get you inside, and we'll tell you everything we know, which honestly isn't as much as you may hope. Finn and the explorers split up. They all went back to their compartments to rest. Finn lay on his back, staring at the ceiling in his room, unable to sleep. Finn! said Paige. She marched into the room, wearing her Marlowe captain's uniform, festooned with the three badges for punctuality, bravery, and invention. Mom and Dad said you could have been really hurt out there. What's wrong with you? You're so... so... But Finn could see tears in Paige's eyes. He knew she had been worried about him. Foggy, charging his battery in the other room, poked his head in. Miss Paige, your brother has been through a lot. I don't think it's fair to... It's okay, Foggy, said Finn. You're right, Paige. But you know, when I was out there, when those evil guys were firing lasers at us and crashing into our pod, and it looked like we were never going to survive, do you know there was one thing I kept thinking about that I thought if I just concentrated on hard enough, it would keep me safe and bring me back to the Marlowe? Paige sat down on the end of his bed. And do you know what that was? What? Paige asked. The thought that if I never got back to the Marlowe, I'd never again be able to do this. Finn snapped off Paige's punctuality badge and took off out of the room. Finn! Said Paige, chasing him. Give that back! Now you're really gonna die. Please, uh... Please don't kill each other. We just got home. Aside from a few scrapes and bruises, the kids were fine, and the doctors let them out of their examinations with no worries. When the doors to the bridge opened, inside was Finn's mother, standing alone. Normally the bridge was abuzz with engineers, cosmonauts, and various officers, all working on something important. It's what made playing and hiding in there when they were younger so much fun. It was easy to get lost in the bustle. But this time, it was so quiet. There would be no hiding. As Finn's mother turned and smiled softly at the kids, it occurred to Finn that they were the bustle now. They were the officers and the cosmonauts and the engineers. They were the ones whose work was important. It's amazing to me, said Finn's mother. You're all so young. And yet you're the ones who have been able to see the truth about our situation the entire time. When we started the Explorer program, it was supposed to be a simple educational tool. And now you all, with your curiosity and your intelligence and your bravery, have made it so much more. Finn's mother trailed off, still smiling at them. Mom, are you okay? I'm fine, Finn. Just proud. Now I know you all want to know what's been happening. I've cleared the bridge so we can talk freely. Finn's mother began telling them the story, beginning 15 years before, when the Marlowe was still new, still finding its way in the unknown universe. The man you met, Nathan Bunce, was one of our earliest and most avid explorers, she said. We were friends. All of us on the Marlowe back then were friends. It was long before I made captain, and Bunce was always the one 
to push us to go further, to explore every nook and cranny of every planet. He loved exploring, and he was good at it. He would planet hop and always find something interesting or discover something no one else would have seen. But as he visited more and more planets, he began to go off mission. He would often antagonize the aliens, would chastise them for doing things differently than we did, try to change their culture. He started to see our ability to go from galaxy to galaxy as a license to take control over the planets there. As you know, the Marlow's mission has always been strict. Find a planet humans could live on peacefully. We're a science ship, not a warship. But Bunce wanted us to change. He wanted to conquer other planets, start colonizing every civilization we found. Ten years ago, in a galaxy light years from here, Bunce stole an explorer pod with two friends, Bean and Bogus, who saw things his way. He went down to a nearby planet and cut off communications with the Marlowe. We sent an envoy down to find him. Your father and I, Finn, we were on that pod. But when we got there, all we found was Bunce's damaged ship, half sunk in a swamp. The aliens who lived on that planet were these horrid creatures, slimy and scaly and breathing some sort of greenish flame. There had been a fight, and when the creatures saw us, they thought we were there to protect Bunce. They attacked, but your father, Finn, he was able to talk them down. We left without much of a problem, and we spent weeks circling the planet in the Marlow, searching for signs of Bunce, Bogus, and Bean, pinging signals down to the ship, but we never heard from them. Eventually, we had to give up. The explorers were all silent. So Bunce blames you, said Abigail. And now he's back for what? For revenge? No, for the Marlow, said Finn. If he wanted to conquer planets before, he can't do that in that old beat-up pod. He wants to take us over and do what he couldn't do before. But there's one thing I don't understand, said Elias. When did you know it was him? We didn't know for sure until you encountered him, said Finn's mother. But I had an idea when Foggy found this. She held up the large metal ring that had fallen from the wild thing when Foggy fought them outside the pod bay. Before he left the Marlow, Bunce had begun tagging different alien species, the way a farmer might brand a cow. This was one of his tags. So why didn't you say anything, said Finn. I did say something to the adults. But like I said, he'd already started tagging aliens before we lost track of him. So it could have been one of those. You have to remember that this wasn't even close to this galaxy. And we honestly didn't think Bunce had survived, but somehow he did. And now he's tracked us down. Do you think he's going to attack again? Asked Vale. Yes, I do, Vale. But we're doing everything we can to prevent that. We think we know where he might be, and we're not going to sit and wait for him to show up again. What do you mean, said Finn? I mean that a team of us, the highest ranking officers, and the most experienced cosmonauts among the adults, are going to go discuss things with Mr. Bunce. Finn's mother looked around the bridge. They're getting ready to go out right now, aren't they? said Finn. His mother nodded. But where? How do you know where to find him? We don't, but we can pick up a slight signal trail from where you clashed with him. If we can keep track of that, we'll find him. Wait, what do you mean we? said Finn. I'm the captain, Finn. I have to go too. Finn had pleaded with his mother not to go, but it was no use. She was the captain, she knew Bunce, and she was the best navigator on the ship. The team would need her. By the time he met up with his friends again, Finn had a plan in mind. They all congregated in the map room, one of the largest spaces on the Marlow. From here, anyone could use the ship's various radar, sonar, telescopic, and stereoscopic devices to survey the surrounding galaxy. Or you could use a computer to call up and project onto the wall millions of astral maps. If a space station had visited a particular galaxy in a particular sector, 35 galaxies away from Earth, it had been charted and added to the map repository. Okay, said Finn. 
The adults have already left to go find Bunce and the rest of his crew, so I figure the best thing we can do if we're stuck here is figure out some way to defend the Marlow in case Bunce comes back. Hello, friends, said Foggy, walking into the room. What are we doing? Foggy, whoa, you look awesome, said Vale. Foggy had been in the robot room, getting repaired after wrestling with the wild thing. The engineers had replaced his scratched-up exterior with a sort of shiny gold plating. You think so? I don't know. It's a little Voltronics-y for my taste. I'm not sure I can pull it off. Finn told Foggy about what his mother had said, and that the adults were now out looking for bunts. Well, why are they doing that? Don't we already know where they are? What do you mean, said Finn? Look at this. On the wall in front of them, Foggy projected a map of the red planet in the galaxy, the one where they thought the wild things may have landed after being jettisoned from the Marlow those weeks back. Whenever the Marlow orbited a planet, the ship took billions of pictures to complete an entire map of the planet before they sent down explorers. It usually took a few days, a few spins around the planet to get a full picture. The Marlow had now been orbiting the planet below them for a few weeks, and yet, when they looked at the map, it was only about two-thirds finished. There was a jagged hole in the three-dimensional picture of the planet. It looked like a giant dinosaur had bitten off a piece. The explorers all looked at each other. There was nothing good about this. They pulled up a live image of the planet. The Marlow was on the night side of the planet now, so it was dark, like a giant shadow, murky with mystery, blacker than the space surrounding it. What does it mean? Finn asked. I think it means they don't want us to see what's going on down there. So you know what we have to do then, said Abigail. They all looked at each other. And they all said at once, We have to go down there. There was simply no way the other adults on the space station were ever going to let the explorers take out a pod, no matter what reason they could give. Finn's father, who had stayed behind, would never approve of the trip. And Abigail's mother, who oversaw the maintenance and repair of the pods, would know if they tried to take one out. But they had a plan, and the plan went like this. Step one, avoid all adults. The officers who stayed behind were having a meeting that night to discuss station security. The adults who weren't there were on the bridge, monitoring the communications, ensuring they had a line open to the pods out there chasing the bad guys. So that meant that all the adults who weren't on security or maintenance duty were tied up, leaving maybe a dozen they would have to get by. I think we're going to need to black out the security cameras around the pod bay, said Finn. Actually, I think I had that covered, said Elias. He pulled out a small device. It was something I was working on as a gift for Abigail. It's a remote starter for our Explorer pod. We can turn it on from anywhere on the station, so all we have to do is run on and take off. We'll be gone before security can even reach us. Awesome, said Finn. Step two, distract the pod engineer. Even though Abigail's mom was in the officer's planning meeting, there was still Chaska, the engineer who monitored the Explorer pods from a small room near the library. Abigail and Finn entered the library just as the librarian was getting ready to close up for the night. Mr. Caspian, is there anything I can help you find? She asked. Yeah, I kind of wanted to read Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus, said Finn. Abigail's never read it, and it's pretty funny. The librarian helped them find it quickly, and the kids ran out the door just before they left. Finn turned to the librarian to ask, Actually, one quick question. You said before that the book missing from the library was where the wild things are, right? The librarian looked surprised. No, I just said it was a picture book. But 
You're right. How did you? Thanks, yelled Finn and ran out the door. In the hallway, they tracked down the protofessor. Hark! Who goes there? Whether it's his nobler to... Abigail opened up the back of the protofessor and inserted the pigeon book. Proto began downloading immediately, adding one more book to his library. Finn opened up the door to the engineering room. Hey, Chaska. Hey, Finn, what's up? Nothing. Just kind of bored, wanted to say hi. The protofessor entered the room. Hey, can I drive the bus? I'll be your best friend. Come on, let me drive the bus. No fair. Pretty please. I'll drive the bus. Hey, wanna let me drive the Proto bus? Proto began grabbing all of the pod controls. Proto, what are you doing? Chaska shouted. Let go! Finn and Abigail ran out. I feel kind of bad about that, you know. Chaska is a good guy, said Finn. But Proto should keep him busy for a while. Step three. Distract security. Elias and Valet opened up Olivia and Olivia's old compartment. There were the fake parents they'd used to convince everyone aboard the Marlowe that they were human. If you remember, the twins had called them jellygrams, like holograms, but made from a synthetic jelly to make them seem more real. The plan was to bring the jellygrams out into the hall, set off an alien detector, and call security. But unfortunately, now that Olivia and Olivia were no longer concentrating on their jellygram parents, the parents had begun to slip out of their forms and revert to being giant puddles of jelly. But they weren't done with their transformation yet, and their heads still poked up out of the puddles. Oh, hi Elias and Vale. Olivia and Olivia aren't here right now. Would you like to come back later? Or can we get you something to drink? <laughs> you don't have to pretend anymore, said Vale. Olivia and Olivia told us everything, but we do need one favor from you. He turned on his flashlight, and it started to click immediately. Yep, there's an alien right there, over here, over here now, yoo-hoo, right there, alien, over here, yoo-hoo, hey boy, alien, 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 definitely not a human. Aliens! Aliens! Elias yelled. They could hear the security guards running from down the hall, and Elias and Vale ran in the opposite direction. Step four. Spring Voltronics out of the robot room. The four friends and Foggy met up in the robot room, where Voltronics was still being repaired. Though he'd been difficult in the past, they needed all the help they could get. And in the battle with Bunts, he'd shown how strong he was, and that he was impervious to lasers. The four snuck into the robot room, where they were relieved to find no engineers present. Voltronics was on the table just like the first time they saw him, the morning of Finn's birthday. Only this time, he looked different to them. Before, he was this invincible, perfect robot. And now, he was their very imperfect friend. Elias reached over to turn on Voltronics, but the robot lay still. He tapped at the keyboard, but Voltronics stayed silent. Come on, Elias, we don't have time for this, said Abigail. Let me carry him, said Foggy. We can figure it out in the pod. The five friends walked out of the robot room with Voltronics on Foggy's back. Step five, slip into an explorer's pod, set the course for the mystery planet, stop the evil bunts, and save the Marlow once and for all. Explorer Troop 301 was about 200 yards from the pod bay when they heard, Hey, where are you taking Voltronics? It was one of the robot engineers, who happened to be walking by. Uh, said Foggy. I really missed my friend. All of you, come on, said the engineer, back to the robot room. New step five. Run like crazy to the explorer's pod before that engineer guy calls security, set the course for the mystery planet, stop the evil ones, and save the Marlow once and for all. The troop all started running to the pod bay. Hey, where are you going? Um, just getting some exercise, yelled Vale. Security! Uh, new step five. Run like crazy to the explorer's pod before security arrives now that the engineer guy has called them, set the course for the mystery planet, stop the evil ones, and save the Marlow once and for all. 
The troop ran as fast as they could, Elias tapping the button on his remote starter frantically. It's not turning on, he said, and I don't know why. Security turned the corner. Hey, what are you kids doing? Were you the ones who called us about those aliens back there? Stop. We have some questions for you. Okay, one more time. New step five. Run like crazy to the Explorer's Pod before security can grab you, set the course for the mystery planet, stop the evil buns, and save the Marlow once and for all. And hey, watch out, Bale! The remote starter finally clicked on and fired up the pod. The explorers piled in. Abigail set the launch sequence, but security was on them now. One of them grabbed Vale's wrist, trying to pull him out. Foggy turned around and threw Voltronics at security. You can have him back. Who all tumbled back. Foggy stepped out, then poked his head back into the airlock. Go. I'll stop them. No. Foggy, we can't leave you. We need you, said Finn. But Foggy had already turned around to slow security, the same way he had against those monsters. Abigail shut the pod doors and blasted away. Through the window, they could see back into the marble. Foggy was lying on the floor, security holding him down. I'm sorry, Finn, said Abigail. It was now or never. I know, said Finn. Step six. Blast toward the mystery planet. Face off against Bunce and whatever creatures he has waiting down there for you and save the Marlow once and for all. Without your best friend. All right, I am here with my editor, Griffin. Griffin, you want to say hello? Hi, hi, hello! <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was an energetic greeting. Um, what did you think of that episode? Pretty good. Pretty good. And did you have any questions about the episode? Um, why is Bud so angry with um the Marlow? Okay, so that's sort of... Oh, uh, kind of... Oh, I can't. I think we kind of already know that. But you want me to talk a little bit more about why Bunce is mad? Yes. Well, because Bunce had this idea about what the Marlow could be. And his idea was one that was not, what I would say, very nice. His idea was that they could go out and they could conquer other planets and make aliens work for them and change how the aliens behave. So he and his group, I think this is what happened, they went to another planet thinking they could do it alone without the Marlow. Maybe they ran into a little trouble. And he feels like he's kind of a little crazy, you know, like sort of like a Lex Luthor type. Oh, yeah. Um, because he kept saying, I'm great. You think I'm a crazy dude? Crazy dude? Crazy dude? <laughs> yeah. And so in his mind, the Marlowe abandoned him, even though it was his idea to leave the Marlowe in the first place. And they tried to stick around to him. It was the ultimate insult, and so he's back to get his... I think he I think he meant to do that. Meant to do what? Um, make it seem like the Marlow had abandoned him. Oh, maybe, maybe, but I think over time he's come to think that the Marlow, it's the Marlow's fault, and maybe even blame Finn's mom for it. Yep. Any other questions about the episode? Uh, what? Buns, if... He had two two friends, then where's the other one? That's a good question, and maybe we will find out in the next episode of the no. Alien Adventures Okay, so now it's time to move on, and we're going to talk about our jokes of the week. Jokes of the week. Jokes of the week. Okay, first one is from Finn from Melbourne, Australia. Great name, Finn. Finn is an 11-year-old from Melbourne, Australia. And his joke is, what do aliens who live on stars love to do most? I don't know. The answer is sunbake. 
<laughs> I think that means in the US we might say sunbathe, but in Australia they say sunbake. Uh, and Finn made that joke up himself, so good job, Finn. Griffin liked that joke. And here's another one from Lark, who is eight years old and from Champaign, Illinois. And Lark asked, what kind of droids are in space? I don't know. Asteroids. <laughs> yeah, I like that one a lot. And we have another joke that was recorded for us. I'm going to let this young man introduce himself. He sent us a few jokes. We'll play a couple of them over the next couple of weeks. So we're just going to do one this week. And I'm going to let him introduce himself. And here is his joke. Hi, I'm Sam from Dayton, Ohio. What do you call a space magician? A flying saucer. -er. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. All right. And so now we have to get to our art. We have some really great art. I'm going to run through it quickly for you. It'll all be up on the blog. I'm, I'm kind of behind on putting the Bebop food up on the blog. Bebop has been eating it, but I haven't been putting down his culinary reviews of it yet. That's my fault. And we will have a whole lot of art getting up on the blog this week. But first up, we have Henry and Leo from Berwyn, Illinois. And they did some really cool art. And Henry drew a really cool picture. He's six, and he drew... Bebop and Henry on the Marlowe. He's our first listener to draw himself onto the Marlowe, which I really like a lot. You can always draw yourself in the Marlowe. It's a great way to become an astronaut. And then we have Leo, who is four years old, and he drew a picture of Bebop and Leo shooting lasers at the blob from the Bob planet, or Planet Bob. So that's pretty cool. And then they also drew, Leo also drew Bebop eating a beloved Picasso, a priceless Picasso, the Bebop consumed <laughs> so thank you so much to henry and leo from berwin for those drawings and then we also have a really great drawing from natasha from chicago she drew a two-headed bob she did a really great job with that so all that art will be up on the blog including last week's art and maybe even next week's art because we're getting a lot of bebop food in so that's it i think that's all the art for today any other things you want to talk about today griffin no all right thanks so much buddy can you say bye Alright, thanks a lot. See you next week. See you next week. Once again, thank you all so much for listening and sending in your jokes, your ideas, your Bebop food. Remember to go to FinnCaspian.com. Bebop is really churning out those culinary reviews. I'm going to get them up there right away. Special shout out to Finn from Australia, Sam from Dayton, Ohio, and Lark and her brother Flax from Champaign, Illinois for their jokes. Also, thanks to Finn and Melissa from Texas for their Bebop questions. And to Leo and Henry from Berwyn and Natasha from Chicago for their Bebop food. Remember, you can send jokes, art, questions, ideas, anything to earth at fincaspian.com and we'll get them. We always really love hearing from you, so thanks so much to everybody who's written in. And remember, we are now only two episodes away from the end of the very first season of the Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian. Ah! It's now more important than ever to subscribe to the show in whatever app you use. And remember, if you have a second, leave us a review in iTunes, which helps a lot in getting word out about the show, which we're going to want to do once season two rolls around. Thanks to everyone who's done so already. The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian is a type drawer media production written and produced by Jonathan Messenger, edited and guided by Griffin Messenger, with special thanks to Maria Villanueva. The theme music you hear at the beginning and end of every show is by Mark Greenberg, recently voted the nicest human for November. Not bad. For more information about the music, the art, everything about the show, check out the show notes. And thanks again for your jokes, your art, your ideas, and your bebop questions. Keep them coming, and we'll see you next week. 
Oh, and speaking of seeing you, this weekend, Saturday, November 5th at 3.45 p.m., I'm going to be hosting a panel at the D.C. PodFest. So any listeners who are out there in the Washington, D.C. area, you want to come to D.C. PodFest at 3.45 on November 5th, this Saturday, go to dcpodfest.com. There's more information about that. So if you're in the area, hopefully we'll see you then. Hail to the chief, the chief, the chief, his name is Bebop. Hail to Bebop, he is the chief. Hail to the chief, my chief, the chief, the chief, the chief. Hi, it's me, Jess. This is a message for all the Six Minutes podcast fans out there. Have you heard? There are new episodes in the Six Minutes feed called the Ivan Dispatch. I won't go into details, but Ivan found something. A box containing audio cassettes recorded decades ago. And it looks like they were recorded by Cyrus. If you're a fan and you're not following the show, you may have missed out. Search for Six Minutes and click the follow button so you never miss an episode. And if you haven't heard Six Minutes yet, what are you waiting for? Search for Six Minutes, start a season one, episode one, and enjoy the most downloaded family audio drama in history. Hey, it's Jess. Did you know that GZM Shows has a YouTube channel? Right now, all of Six Minutes, Becoming Mother Nature, GZM Beats, and Cupid and the Reaper are up. And they're in these, like, beautiful playlists. They have this fun audio waveform visual. And best of all, you can turn on captions. And the captions have character names. Anyway, subscribe to GZM Shows on YouTube. Maybe there'll be some cool things in the future, like live streams, interviews, behind the scenes. We'll see. GZM Shows on YouTube.